All across Europe, Christmas is a time for families. And in Europe, that means a special focus on the children. Everything must be like magic. This is what is the remaining for the future generation. Right now, as a mother, I'm doing setting that for my children. Hi, I'm Rick Steves. Today on Travel with Rick Steves, we're continuing a tour we started last week of the different kinds of Christmas traditions that our friends celebrate all across Europe. For instance, high in a snowy village in the Swiss Alps, St. Nicholas comes and he's riding a donkey. He's toting treats and a little naughty or nice lecture for the children. And down in Portugal, in the small towns in the countryside, families gather around Christmas Eve bonfires in the wee hours of the morning after midnight mass. And children in Bulgaria are searching for the lucky coin that's hidden in a piece of freshly baked pita bread. We're enjoying the Christmas season European style today on Travel with Rick Steves. Stay with us. Coming up today on Travel with Rick Steves, we're spending Christmas in Europe. It's a virtual Santa-free zone, and there's not a mall in sight. Whether it's enjoying a meal of salted codfish in Lisbon, celebrating midnight mass in a snow-blanketed church high in the Swiss Alps, or singing carols in London's Trafalgar Square, Christmas traditions in Europe go very deep. We'll spend the hour ahead exploring those traditions, and we'll cap things off with a fresh batch of listener haiku to celebrate the start of winter. Let's warm up with Christmas Mediterranean style with friends from Spain and Italy. And let's think about Christmas in Spain, maybe Madrid. I'm joined by a friend of mine, Federico Garcia Barroso. Say that in Spanish for me, Federico. Federico Garcia Barroso. Hey, thank you for joining us. And we're talking about Christmas in Spain. Federico, what is what's something uh, unique about celebrating Christmas in Spain? Who brings the who brings the gifts to the children? That is a very Spanish tradition. It's also celebrated in some places in Latin America, a very Latin tradition. The three wise men. The three wise men came from Orient to give some presents to Jesus Christ when he was born in Bethlehem. And nowadays, all the kids in Spain, they are really expecting, looking for what, to see those three wise men in Epiphany, the night of the 5th of January. Those three wise men come to Spain, oh. and next day, all the kids have those wonderful toys. So after the 12 days of Christmas, the wise men finally get to Bethlehem and mm-hmm. give the baby Jesus the gifts that they brought, that mm-hmm. we always sing about. And that's quite logical that in much of Europe, especially in Spain, Epiphany, January 6th, is celebrated. And how logical. It's the three wise men that give the children the gifts. The thing is, you know, Greg, when I talk to my uh, nephews about all this, you know, I just ask them, Please tell me honestly, do you believe in Santa Claus or do you believe in the three wise men? And they tell me, we believe in both. Santa comes on Christmas. <laughs> of course. And wise men come on Epiphany. And Spanish kids get double. Double. They are absolutely happy. Everyone is welcome in Spain now, in Christmas. I, my hunch, my, my theory is that this is a parental, this whole gift giving is kind of a parental conspiracy mm-hmm. to terrorize children into being good. <laughs> you know, if you're, if you're naughty or nice, and if you're naughty, you're going to get stones in your stocking, and of if you're course. nice, you'll get all sorts of good presents. Yeah. Is there that kind of teaching and incentivizing from parents in Spain? Totally. It's the <laughs> most pedagogical way, you know, the most instructive way to say you have to behave yourself. <laughs> Did it work good for you when you were little? Absolutely. <laughs> What's your best memory when you were a little kid in Madrid? Well, I was I was actually um, really, really, I was quite innocent. I have to say that I was quite ingenious, I would say also. Ingenious? In, yes. How's that? <laughs> in many ways, in many ways. You conned your parents into thinking you were an angel and you of got course. a lot of good stuff. <laughs> Do you have a Christmas tree in Spain? Yes, we have a Christmas tree. That is a much more northern European tradition, I would say, but it is quite popular nowadays in How Spain. How do you decorate it in Spain? Are there any uniquely ways? Christmas tree, then a TVT, of course, and lights and, and plants everywhere. What about parades? Are there parades of any kind? The parade, actually, um, we have to say nowadays that with the support of uh, Madrid City Hall and many other city halls in Spain, those parades are absolutely spectacular. And that is one of the reasons why many people in Spain, even local people, uh, Spaniards, they take the AVE train and they go from several places. They come to Madrid to see that spectacular parade. The three wise men arrive to Madrid the 5th of January and thousands and thousands of people go there to the streets to enjoy that. And I would imagine all over Spain, people would tune into television to watch it also. Every single home. That's a big deal. January 5th. The, January 5th. What's, what's the name of that parade? Cavalgata means in, in English parade. Like Cavalgata. Cavalcade, I think. Cavalcade. Ah, Cavalcade of the three kings. We, we call them in Spanish the three magic kings. Now, when you're in Spain, I, I would imagine you've got some jingle bells and Frosty the Snowman songs that are directly translated from the American jingles. Mm-hmm. 
Are there, are there songs that all the kids know in Spain that would be purely Spanish that are sung just at Christmas? Some of them. Some of them are actually, yeah, of course we have uh, Christmas carols in the Spanish language. Uh, they are quite popular in Spain and Latin America. You know, but I have to say that those ones in English are a little bit better. <laughs> I have to admit, I have to be critical. What's and your I, favorite one when you were little that was an American that was translated into Spanish? Uh, jingle bells, jingle bells. <laughs> Do you actually sing it in Spanish? <laughs> yes. Sing, sing that to me in Spanish, please, Federico. Navidad, Navidad, dulce Navidad. <laughs> oh, what fun. Oh, no, that is in English. Oh, what fun it is to write in it. Let me, let me remember. Or is just there another one? Those lyrics. I'm just trying to remember those lyrics of, of any... Mm, La Virgen se está peinando entre cortina y cortina. Sus cabellos son de oro y el pez de plata fina. Pero mira cómo beben los peces en el río. Pero mira cómo beben por ver a Dios nacido. Beben y beben y vuelven a beber los peces en el río por ver a Dios nacer. Wow, that's beautiful, Federico. Tell me a few lines of what you were saying in English, Well, actually, please. telling you something about the beauty of the Immaculate Conception, all his uh, golden hair, and uh, those fishes that are in the river just looking at the Holy Virgin and, and drinking and jumping and singing because they are witness of the birth of Christ. Wow, even the fish in the streams. The Immaculate Conception is a huge thing in Spain, in it Spanish is actually, Catholicism. Yeah, absolutely, there are many churches, many cathedrals, and many towns uh, quite devoted to Mary. And the final thing, of course, is food. Is there any uh, enthusiasm for food in Spain on Christmas? Yes, of course, any time, not exclusively Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> any time of the year, but especially in Christmas time. It, this is quite interesting to see how, uh, for example, in Madrid, in my city, it becomes a very nice tradition to eat what you call in English this white big fish, called uh, uh, sea bream, you know, sea bream, yeah. with some slice of lemon uh, and to roast that fish on the oven. That is quite, it's a kind of contradiction because obviously Madrid has no, no sea, you know. But this is coming from a king called Charles III in this late 1700s. He commissioned to take fish, fish and more fish from northern Spain to Madrid. And of course, in those days, the highways, the freeways were not so good. The fish came to Madrid a little bit smelly. And one of the reasons why they put those lemon slides was to avoid that smell, you know. And nowadays, it's a really nice tradition to eat golden bream or sea bream, even sea bass also with those lemon slides. So for 300 years, Madrilinos have been eating fish meals fit for a king, hmm. even if a little bit rotten, <laughs> to celebrate Christmas. <laughs> Federico, do me a big favor. Can you wish me and our listeners uh, a happy holiday in your language? Feliz Navidad, próspero año y felicidad. Gracias. De nada. Let's think about Christmas in Italy. Susanna Perrucchini comes to us from Rome. How do you celebrate Christmas? What's unique about your Christmas celebrations in Italy? Well, as many of you already know, Italy is divided into regions, and uh, in each region there is a slightly different way to celebrate Christmas as Easter, as many other you know, moments uh, along the year. I was raised in Rome, but I was born in Padova, Padova very close to Venice, so in Veneto region. And my mother used to tell me that when she was a kid and then a younger teenager, um, they had kind of a prefix menu. And it was not only because of the tradition, but so because a, of... a set menu. Then. A set menu, yes. So, and it was basically because of the money, you know? Right. Uh, so we have the economical boom in Italy in the 60s, uh, but before that and even after, people kind of stick to their traditions. And what was the set menu then? On Veneto? the 24th of uh, December... They used to have risotto con anguilla, which is eel risotto. Eel with your risotto. Yes. And this is in Veneto here. This in is Veneto. Near Generally Venice. speaking, okay. yes. Uh, the second dish could have been any kind of white fish, especially cod, because, you know, close to the, the Veneto region, we were so big fan of cod bacalao. It was dried, so it had to stay in water uh, for three or four days, and the water had to change. So it was a, a, a recipe that took So this days. is the day before Christmas. Are we talking Christmas Eve? Christmas Eve, yes. The 24th. Okay. The 24th. Yeah. And that was, that was it. 
very basic, not too many things. It was fish, fish, that's it. And then the next day, because the baby Jesus was born, so big celebration, they used to have capone, which is uh, the castrated male chicken. That just because it was castrated previously, it started to gain weight. Ah. So he was bigger. And it had a real fatter. high voice. <laughs> I believe so. <laughs> yes, nice, okay. Exactly. And it was filled with meat, uh, sometimes with bread, you know, sometimes leftovers, sometimes raisins, depending on uh, okay. so dried raisins. Okay, so this goes back raisins. to a, a more, uh, more poverty path. Of course. Path. You, you had to use what you had. Okay. And this, uh, the capone was killed. Yeah. So it was cooked. And uh, what they had with the capone sometimes was a broth. Right. With some kind of tortellini, ravioli. And to this day, you have this, this chicken dish. Yes. Even though there's a lot more money. Well, let's say that my mother... It's a tradition. My mother does and prepares capone still for today because we like it. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's keeping alive an old tradition, remembering yes. that there was a difficult past and we're all together and we're healthy and we're looking yes. into a promising future. And actually, my mother, only the few years, uh, she started to buy panettone pandoro, which are the two typicals, uh, you know, cakes from uh, one Milan, panettone, pandoro from Verona, and... In the past, they used to bake or to prepare fogassa. Fogassa was like um, like a sponge cake, very simple, okay. not, not even too sweet. In Italy, how do you wish people Merry Christmas? What word do you say? Buon Natale. Buon Natale. Yes, and you know why? Because in the States, I know that you have different congregations and churches and different faiths. In Italy, I would say that we are born at least and raised 99% of us Catholic. Remember the Vatican. <laughs> that's, that's right. And whether you go to church or not, it's just it's yes. Christmas time. Buon Natale. Natale. What is your most beautiful, warm, and, and happy memory as a little child about Natale? Well, I was lucky, so I had many. But I can tell you one. I remember one day, I have a brother. He's uh, two years younger. And we have um, a little lady, actually not very uh, nice looking, called La Befana. And in the past, uh, Santa Claus didn't exist. So this is, La Bafana is the witch that comes yes. on Epiphany. Yes, on, on the Epiphany, between the 5th and the 6th of January. Okay. And La Bafana, even though she looks like a witch, so not very nice looking, with a crooked nose and everything, uh, and dressed with uh, very dirty clothes, but she's a good one because she's bringing gifts to the kids. And I remember that my mother said to my brother one day, I, pr- I was probably five, she said, okay, you have to put your socks, la calza, hanging somewhere. We don't have a chimney, so we hanged that in the kitchen. And the next day, for me, it was a miracle because I went to the kitchen to have breakfast, and it was filled with uh, cookies and chocolate and everything. So, And the, there were also gifts close by. So that was one of the best memories I have. You know, that's a pretty uniform, beautiful memory that children yeah. all, all around Western civilization <laughs> It's have. a miracle. The Bifana came. <laughs> Brought me all these yes. cookies. Susanna Perracchini, thank you for sharing a little bit of Italian Christmas with well, us. Well, you're welcome. Could you wish all of our listeners uh, some sort of a holiday greeting from Italy, please? Oh, of course. Buon Natale a tutti e felice anno nuovo. <laughs> I think I know just what you said. <laughs> thank you and the same to you. <laughs> Ciao. Arrivederci. Next, we'll find out how they celebrate the Christmas season in London, in Lisbon, and even Bulgaria. And later, we'll call friends in Austria and the Swiss Alps for a Germanic take on the holidays. It's Travel with Rick Steves. about to pay a visit to London at Christmas time. next on Travel with Rick Steves. Then we'll talk with a friend from Lisbon and learn why in Portugal the nativity scenes upstage the Christmas trees. And in post-communist Bulgaria, 
we'll hear about a version of Christmas you'll barely recognize. It's Travel Through the Holidays with Rick Steves. It's Christmas time. Jolly old England. Big city. London. What's it like? I'm with Tom Hooper and Gillian Chadwick, two blue badge guides from London. Tom and Gillian, thanks for joining us this Christmas. How do you celebrate Christmas in London? What tips do you have for travelers that might be visiting London during Christmas? Definitely go and see all the lights, uh, Harrods and Fortnum and Mesa and all the shops. And Hamley's, the toy store. So Oxford Circus, that area? Yeah, and Regent Street. Regent Street, Oxford Circus. Regent Street's the big thing for lights. Regent Street. And then the great stores. What stores are most famous for their window displays? Harrods, Fortnum and Mason. Selfridges. And Kids, what's the Kids Wonderland? Kids is Hamley's. Yeah. Yeah, Kids is Hamley's. And how about classical music and Christmas sort of culture? There'll be carol concerts all over the place. Oh, churches. yes, and we have the, the Christmas tree yeah. in Trafalgar Square from Norway. Norway gives... What's the story Old, about that? Oslo gives. Uh, because the Norwegian royal family lived in exile in London during the Second World War. And so as a sign of their gratitude, they send us a giant mm. Christmas tree every year. Yeah. Every Christmas you get a tree from, from Norway. Yes. Specifically Oslo. The people of Oslo. Mm. Yes. Mm. Oh, that's interesting. They have a sort of lighting thing like you do Christmas trees here. Mm. And then they have carols almost every single evening around the Christmas tree. And all the proceeds go to charities. Yes. On Trafalgar Square. Yes. Yeah. In front of the National Gallery. Right in front of the National ben. Gallery with the view of Big Ben Glorious. down in the distance. Glorious. Mm-hmm. And I've noticed it doesn't snow a lot in London, but there's always snow on Trafalgar Square. Of course. What do they do? They make some snow there for the party? <laughs> I saw the kids there on the snow. It's wonderful. No, it's it's yeah. targeted snow. We have this special weather which you can right target. Right there, a little, a little <laughs> microclimate on Trafalgar Square. Shoot the clouds, yeah. Yeah. And one and thing. ice rinks as well. Ice, ice rinks, rinks, I was yes. going to say, down yeah. at Somerset, Somerset House. Somerset House, the Natural History Museum. Tower of London's got one now mm-hmm. in the moat as well. They have one there. In the, in the moat. Ice rink crazy. Yeah. Around the tower? Yeah, a bit of it. A bit yeah. of it. Wow. It would be really good to travel <laughs> around the Tower of London. So there's a lot of fun in yeah. London during Christmas and, time. Um, if another night, really good place Christmas to go at is Hampton Court Palace, which is about 30 minutes train ride. And they have loads of Christmas events and mm-hmm. they have their own ice rink as well. And what are the traditional things to eat and drink at Christmas time for you? Oh, turkey. 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 And stuffing and bread yes. sauce, cranberry sauce. And this thing and called Christmas, Christmas pudding. pudding. <laughs> now, what is Christmas pudding? Which is this unbelievably rich fruit and suet mix, it should be. Yes. Which is boiled, really, isn't it? It's sort of, you put it in a pan with boiling, in its own container, in boiling water, and slowly over 16 years now, about whatever time, it heats up. So it's been, it's been simmering for it's a long time. It's pretty heavy. Yes, it's yeah. very heavy. Is a figgy pudding, is that something at yeah. Christmas? Nearly the same. The same Nearly the same. Yeah. same. And mince pies, but they're illegal, aren't they? Yes. Why are they illegal? Thanks to Oliver, Oliver Cromwell. Cromwell banned them in the 17th century. Well, he banned Christmas. Yeah. Oliver Cromwell, what an evil man. <laughs> You're free to celebrate Christmas now. Yes. We can, yes. All right. Well, Merry Christmas to you in London. Thanks. Thank you. Christina Duarte joins us from Portugal to talk about Christmas. And Christina, when you think of celebrating Christmas in your home country, Portugal, what comes to mind? Family. It's a family gathering, actually. Of course, everything starts a little bit uh, before. The stress of Christmas season starts around the beginning of uh, December. And so the stress meaning the commercial the, yeah, giving gifts. And not only, because... Uh, we have to prepare things specially for Christmas Eve and Christmas Day. Oh. So sometimes because we end up, well, hosting people in our places like the family, like 10, 12, 15 people. So we need to think about the best codfish to buy and when to buy it because otherwise you cannot well, risk to finish by the end. Do you have a big feast on Christmas Eve? We, we do have because it is the gathering. It is a celebration of the family. So the 24th, People start to come over the house around 7 o'clock, more or less. Pretty much the sweets are already done throughout the day because they take time to prepare. So first of all, the sweets are done. What oh, do yes, mean? yes. What do you mean by the sweets? The sweets are things, fried uh, sweets made out of especially egg yolks based on eggs and uh, cinnamon, sugar, 
almond syrup. So this. Okay, so all the generations together, and, you, and you're ruining your appetite by eating these sweets already. Uh, they, they are ready, but they is to eat afterwards. Okay. They are just ready a little bit. Oh, earlier. so they're just there as a temptation. Yes, exactly. First, and the meal is called. Consuada. Consuada. Consuada is uh, especially this dinner when we sit all the table together and we have the main dish, which is codfish. Codfish. Salted codfish. A Christmas Eve salted codfish. Exactly. And, that, and almost every traditional Portuguese family will have this on <laughs> exactly. Christmas Eve. Exactly. But, well, we, we do a lot of effort in having the best codfish. I mean... Uh, um, because there's like 365 different ways to prepare yes, cod in but Portugal, right? As a matter of fact, for the consuada, we do the simplest way, which is just boiling it with some potatoes and some vegetables. So this is not the great point of the codfish, but the codfish quality itself, high, white. So Now, what and, uh, care goes into setting the table for the consuada? We have to be proud and be setting in a beautiful table. So we put our best linen on with the, our best cutlery, the purslain, the, and so it must be beautiful. It has to have that bright moment, that magic moment that is once a year, the 24th. Uh, everything must be like magic. This is what is the remaining for the future generation. Right now, as a mother, I'm doing setting that for my children. And you're establishing that tradition that they will do for their children. Yes, exactly. Now, for the children, who brings the gifts? Uh, baby Jesus. Baby Jesus. <laughs> yes. And how do you say baby Jesus in Portuguese? <laughs> Menino Jesus. Menina Menino Jesus. Jesus. But, of course, we realize that more and more there are more commercial things and from outside other countries. So a Santa Claus, Pai Natal, it becomes more the person that they know than the baby Jesus. When you were a small child, what is your memory of the uh, Menino Jesus. Uh, it, it was the Menino Jesus, it was baby Jesus, because what is Christmas all about is a celebration of the birth of Christ. So you do, uh, yes, uh, a tree, uh, you set a, a Christmas tree, uh, but the most important thing of it is the creep. Actually, you have... So this a, is the crèche, the presepio. Well, the crèche, uh, presepio. Like in Italy, everybody in Italy has the presepio, and you have this the manger scene. And that is a great deal of our decoration. I mean, we are 80% Catholic people, so it it is a great deal, and and it is fun also. I mean, with families, with children, it is fun to set. I always set the with my children. I'm not doing it alone, and I'm not buying a set. And right now, I, I just doing myself right now as on the old times my parents are doing with me, which was every year I try to buy some new and adding some new character to it. So Some new characters <laughs> to your major yes, scene. Yes, exactly, because we start with uh, Joseph and Mary and the baby. But afterwards, you can always buy like a, a chapper, a chicken sellers, because don't forget, everybody went to see the birth of Jesus. That's right. So, and it's beautiful. It's beautiful. Beautiful. I must say that there are some churches then that they have wonderful, uh, wonderful presepios. So if you happen to be in Lisbon during Christmas, go visit the churches and see the manger scenes. Absolutely, absolutely. I'm speaking with Cristina Duarte from Lisbon. We're celebrating Christmas. And Cristina, if you think back to your childhood and you want to capture one memory to share with our listeners here in the United States, what's your favorite childhood memory of a traditional Christmas in Portugal? Actually, it is not uh, giving uh, the gifts because uh, I was born in '66. So, and in '66 we were still under a, a very poor moment. So the gifts were always like uh, clothing and things that we were needing. There were not such a things like toys. <laughs> so actually, what I remember better it is that after giving the gifts, my my parents they are native from a place out of the city of Lisbon. And in most of these places, they do a huge firework, like a, a burning... A bonfire. Uh, yes. A big fire. A big fire. Okay. And that big fire is light up like in the beginning of the 24th because <laughs> it is so big that must be lighted and creating some embers to the night from the 24th to the 25th. Would you go to a late mass? And yes, And then afterwards, exactly. all of the friends and family would gather exactly. around Exactly. We gather there, over there. Social yes. time. Social time. In the middle of the night. In the middle of night. Two o'clock in the morning. Yes. Celebrating Christmas. <laughs> this is the old memories, of course. They still do, though. They still do. And for the younger generations right now, they most of the times they go after dinner or after after giving the gifts, and they still go out in some of the places together and to show themselves well what they got. <laughs> Christina, can you give me a small gift right now for my Christmas? 
Can you wish me in Portuguese, in your language, how you would wish somebody a Merry Christmas? Uh, bom Natal. Bom Natal e boas festas. Ainda melhor. Feliz Natal. And what all did you say? I said, first of all, I said a good Christmas and a good holidays. And then I said, no, 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 it's better. Feliz Natal. And what does that uh, mean? Happy Christmas. Happy Christmas. And Feliz Natal to you too. Obrigado. You're welcome. A 25 da dezembro, fum, fum, fum. A 25 da dezembro, fum, fum, fum. A nascudo un minho, net roxi blanquet, roxi blanquet. Filho de la Verja Maria, nes natano na estabilia, fum, fum, fum. Alha da alta la montanha, fum, fum, fum. Alha da alta la montanha, fum, fum, fum. Siniados pasturets, abrigadets, abrigadets. Amb la pelle e la samarra, manjam ous e butifarra. Fum, 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 fum. Imagine Christmas in Bulgaria. Actually, how are you going to do that? Well, you need to talk to a Bulgarian. And Luba Boyanin joins us from Sofia in Bulgaria to talk about Christmas in her country. Merry Christmas, Luba. Thank you. Merry Christmas. How do you say Merry Christmas in Bulgarian? And what does that mean? Um, happy, happy birth of Christ. You had a 50-year period of communist rule where you couldn't have religion in Bulgaria, is that right? Yes. Were yes. they able to stamp out the religious aspect of uh, a Christmas holiday, or, or how did that affect your society? We must work on the day of Christmas. We had not a holiday for the day of Christmas, but I remember from my childhood that my mother, um, some days before Christmas, prepared all the traditional food, as this is a very special Eve. Uh, the, the Christmas Eve is very special for Bulgaria, so we have to put on the table uh, seven vegetarian dishes, at least seven, seven is the minimum, nine or twelve. And as more you have, as better and more rich and prosperous will be the, the table. So this is a time that my mother, three days before uh, Christmas, every evening she prepares some of the dishes. As when she, on the day of Christmas Eve, she come back from work, uh, she needs only to put everything on the table. And then well, the whole family was sitting and we did the rituals even during the communist times. But now it's a very great event for us. So you said vegetarian dishes? Yes. Vegetarian? The dishes must be vegetarian. Why? Because, um, you know, the Orthodox Church has a 40 days before Christmas uh, fast. Oh, this and is the a fast finish, this is the, the Christmas Eve, in fact, is the last day of uh, fast. The next day, people normally eat uh, pork or stuffed turkey. This is the 25th of December. We're celebrating Christmas, the 25th of December, like in a Catholic church. And you break a 40-day no-meat fast. No-meat fast. And for us, the most important evening, this is the Christmas Eve. Christmas Eve in the villages, up to nowadays, people are doing on the floor. They are sitting on the floor. They put us on the straw pillows. Everybody was sitting to share that's a special dishes. On the table must be. Uh, of course, the ritual bread. The bread has a decoration, particular decoration with uh, um, symbols of fertility and pro prosperous. And this bread has a coin inside. So together with the bread, we put on the table a special garlic sauce. It's a garlic walnut sauce, a very, very strong one, stuffed pepper. Uh, on the table must be must be put a food symbolizing prosperity. So it could be um, boiled wheat because the wheat, you know, the wheat is a little small, and when it after boiling, it's it's getting bigger. The same rice, beans, everything that that uh, that expands. This is very important because this is like a fortune telling for a good luck. Symbolizing that symbolizing, your future will expand. Yes. Life will be good. Yes. And of those obligatory dishes, we have, as I say, stuffed peppers with rice, stuffed cabbage leaves with rice. Um, in some regions, stuffed peppers with beans. Beans obligatory must be on the table. Tell me your best memory when you were a little girl. Uh, for Christmas, always we love to be all, all the family together with my grandparents and grandmother. So what I remember most of everything is first that the pita bread to be spread between uh -huh. all the members and we look inside for the coins and we'll the winner the of the coin will be a more successful. So as a children, I have a sister and we, we really, we hope that the coin to be with us and we fight with my sister if the coin was in one of the pieces. As you know what, when we split the bread, the splitting of the bread starts from the house. You leave one piece for the house, one piece for the Virgin Mary one piece for the first elderly person 
up to the very little ones. And my parents always uh, um, took a very little pieces for the house, for themselves, and they leave the big pieces for me and the sister. And at the moment you have the piece of bread, yeah. you are looking where the coins is. So we are okay. like chickens that immediately oh, yeah. you know, eat the pieces of bread to find the coin. And if you have a coin, you'll be the lucky one. Very important for the first piece of bread, you should keep it, not eating. Uh, the first night you put in a napkin uh -huh. and you put under your pillow and you have to dream and this dream will be realized. Okay. Now, a few times. This is my, my happy memories to have now, a coin. There was a lot of happiness in Bulgaria even during difficult communist times when there was not much money and nobody could celebrate uh, religious holidays. Um, yes, for the children, yes. Who brings the gifts? <laughs> Santa Claus. <laughs> and when does that happen? Um, it's very big mix-up now because uh, Santa Claus brings the presents at the Christmas Eve. So when I was young, uh, we had this Dadu Vasili who brings uh, presents on the day of the 1st of January. So who is this? What is that name? Dadu Mraz. He was a Russian version of Santa Claus. Okay, and he would bring it on New Year's Day. Yes, but before that, it was, at the time of my parents, it was Vasily who brought the presents the 1st of January. Wait a minute. So the Russian, the, the Soviet Union gave you this uh, part of your celebration to have a Russian hero bring on New Year's Day the presents? A Russian, the Adumras, we call uh, but, but this was the, put on you by, by the USSR? Yes, yes. I've never imagined and that. And when I was... They chained, they got rid of Santa Claus. Yes. And they got rid of Christmas, and they brought the presents on New Year's Day instead. Yes. To get rid of religion and to bring in Russia to your holiday celebrations. Yes, we have the celebration was the New Year celebration. That was the main really celebration. That is really imperialism. <laughs> <laughs> and today the, the Russian today saint is no longer up, coming. You know, so you're because, all mixed up. Uh, it's a mixed up because uh, we have difficulties, to be honest. As we uh, said, we are changing um, presents for Christmas and then for the New Year again we're buying a small little presents for the And the little kids, surprise. they don't care who's giving it. The little kids <laughs> yes. just want the present. Lubya Boyan, and thank you for joining us today during this uh, holiday season. And can you, we've got a lot of people listening to us on the radio all over the United States. Can you please, in your language, uh, bring them a greeting from Bulgaria for this time of year? Čistite koleda. Želaja vi zdrave i mnogo, mnogo kasmet. And exactly what did you say in English? I say, Happy Christmas. I wish you a lot of good health and a lot of, lot of success. And in Bulgarian, I can say thank you by saying Blagodarja. 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 Coming up next, we learn about Christmas traditions in the German-speaking world with reports from a friend in small-town Austria and from a schoolteacher in a village high in the Swiss Alps. We'll also talk with one of our listeners about visiting the traditional Christmas markets of Bavaria and get a fresh batch of listener haiku all about winter. Our phone number is 877-333-RICK. And you can email us at radio at ricksteves.com. We're getting a deeper look at some of the Christmas traditions that make the holiday season special for our friends in Europe on today's Travel with Rick Steves. Now, let's head for the German-speaking world, home of the famous Bavarian Christmas markets and the birthplace of the Christmas tree. Now let's go to Switzerland. High in the Swiss Alps, we're visiting my friend Olli Egemann, who's the schoolteacher in a little traffic-free village halfway up the Schiltorn called Gimmelwald. Olli, thanks for joining us. Yes, fun to speak to you, Rick. Tell me about uh, what's distinct about Christmas in a little village high in the Swiss Alps. The first thing, obviously, that makes Christmas a great thing is the snow is usually approaching. We get snow around Christmas time a little bit earlier. Days are shortened. Everybody's looking forward to family festivities. In early December, we get the first feeling from Samichlaus, from our Santa Claus. Describe Sammy Klaus. He's like the Santa Claus, but he's different. What does he do? This Sammy Klaus is a very important person, and he is visiting all the children the 6th of December. The Sammy Klaus is dressed up in red. He has a helper. His helper is Schmutzli, and he comes dressed up in black clothes. Uh, both usually have a long beard. They have a, a donkey or a little horse, and 
on the back of the animal, you have, you have usually a huge bag full of peanuts, tangerines, sometimes even some chocolate. And this uh, Samichlaus uh, goes to visit the different children in the village. They must be frightened when they see him. Well, you know, he is, he is he's quite a man, and usually he has a huge book in one hand, and Schmutzli comes with a kind of uh, a broom. The Samichlaus, you know, he is a holy person, and obviously birds can speak to him, and sometimes birds tell him about his children if they have committed some stupid things, and obviously he will give them a little lesson, and he has all written down and quite often when he visits the children, he might give them a little lecture what they should maybe do better. And he will look up in his huge book. And to make look this book really old, quite often you just put some flour in it. When you open it, it's, it's all dusty. And then usually children either sing a song for the Samichlaus or they tell a poem and if they do so afterwards, they get something from the Samichlaus. They can usually open the, the bag and get out some tangerines or, or nuts. It's just another way for parents to terrorize their children into being nice and not naughty. Yes, you can say that. And, you know, funny enough, even when you're an adult, if, even if you go to a home of retired people and somebody comes dressed up as a Samichlaus, I will tell you one thing, everybody gets somehow excited and to a certain strange way feels back in the time when he was a child and everybody has a lot of fun with it. And you know, the time when a child is really scared of a Samichlaus is usually a very short one, let's say between three and five. And quite often when six or seven, they all, all of a sudden can understand that it's somebody they probably know. And then it obviously gets even more fun than before because they, they halfway take him serious, halfway they believe it's somebody else. So you mentioned December 6th. I, I don't understand. Samichlaus comes on December 6th or on the 25th? No, he comes the 6th of December. Oh, he does. So he's he different. He comes on the 6th, not on the 25th or 24th. Now, why on the 6th? What's that special day? In the church, all the saints have their particular day. And the day of the Samichlaus is the 6th of December. Is that St. Nicholas? Yeah. Ah, so, so St. Nicholas that's the day is he there. is coming. Now, Ollie, in, in uh, Switzerland, how do you say Merry Christmas? Schöne Weihnachten. Schöne Weihnachten. Schöne Weihnachten. A beautiful Christmas night, is that what that means? Well, yes, Literally. more or less, yes. Yeah, great. Well, schöne Weihnachten to you and your family. Thanks for joining us this Christmas, Ollie. Thank you very much. Schöne Weihnachten for you too, Rick. Okay, <laughs> bye-bye. Bye-bye. <laughs> Now we travel to the Tyrol, that is the traditional western part of Austria, and we're talking with a friend of mine named Gabi Koch, who is in a town called Reuter. Gabi, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Rick. Hello. Hello. We have a lot of uh, romantic images of the Tyrol, or the I guess you say Tyrol in German. Tyrol. Can you just describe to people what a small-town Christmas would be like in your part of Europe? Christmas is a very traditional fest here. As you know, we are uh, Roman Catholic, so it starts already with the Advent tide, so we get prepared for the birth of Jesus. A lot of handcrafts are done then, Christmas decoration. We do a lot of music with traditional instruments like guitar, sitter, harp, hackbread, flute. You know, for the United States, for a lot of people, it's like how many shopping days left till Christmas. But in, I think in the T-Roll, there's a lot of uh, sacred days around the Christmas season. You have St. Nicholas Day. We have St. Nicholas Day, which is not Santa Claus uh, like I think you celebrate in your country. Uh, St. Nicholas, or Nicholas, how we call him short, is uh, named after a bishop who helped uh, hungry people, and he had especially helped kids. So it's very custom to uh, Nicholas to bring children fruits, nuts, and sweet things. As well, it's a good occasion for the parents to remind their kids uh, through Nicholas to behave themselves, like to do proper homework or to go bed earlier, 
And in this worst case, there is as well a Krampus. It's like a black man with the necklace, and uh, this is very much tradition. So black man, you don't mean uh, an African, you mean uh, a, a No, no, person. we say Krampus because he looks uh, very ugly and very scaring. So uh, better people do what the St. Nicholas is telling them. I'm talking with Gabby Koch from uh, Reuter in the Tyrol, in the west of Austria. Gabby, you said the people are, during the Advent season, as Christmas approaches, uh, they prepare with handicrafts and decorating. How are the houses decorated in your town? Uh, mainly with nature things like trees, nuts, apples, so not very uh, artificial things. Now, in the United States, we decorate our tree several weeks, uh, usually before Christmas. When do you get your tree and when do you decorate it and how does that um, involve the children? In very few houses, we have artificial trees. Usually we have uh, natural trees and sometimes we pick them very, very short time ahead. So even on the Christmas uh, day, we go to the forest and pick them. Now, for small children, isn't there a, a tradition where they don't see the tree until actually Christmas Eve? How does that work? Exactly. So uh, the papas, they need to keep the smaller children busy. Like they go out, they do skiing or skating or snowman or playing games, whatever. And then the mama prepares the tree and the presents. And the living room is closed. And they will come at about 5 to 6 o'clock p.m., the Christmas bell rings, and everybody may enter then the living room. Of course, this is done with the smaller kids. When they are a little bit older, they join uh, decorating the Christmas tree. Okay, now who actually, in the children's mind, who brings the presents? Christkind. Christkind. Yeah, so that Christkind. is the Christ child, literally, brings exactly. the presents. Christkind is the birth of God, it's Jesus. And so we never have had any Weihnachtsmann, Santa Claus. This is not uh, something from our religion. Weihnachtsmann is uh, actually a newer expression. Um, I think... Um, Our equivalent would be Santa Claus? Yes. Okay. But I think it's mainly used for business reasons. So even the little children, they think that Jesus is bringing the presents to them and putting them under the tree. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Now, when I was in Austria, people were actually blessing the house on Christmas Eve. They were smoking it somehow. Can you explain that? Uh, this will be done in some houses, but it's uh, mainly done for uh, the Holy Three Kings when they come and visit the house and give their blessings of the Holy Three Kings and the arriving of the birth of uh, Jesus. Okay. Now, describe for me, Gabby, in the Tyrol, in Western Austria, uh, how you deal with the big family meal and when you go to Mass and how the Mass and the family all comes together. Usually the meal on the 24th is quite simple because there are a lot of preparations to make it really up to the, to the event, to the birth of Jesus. The meal is quite simple, like a sausage and a potato salad or a fish, but not very fancy. And the service where we go to is at midnight. We call it the Christmette. And it will start at 11.30 with already Christmas songs in the church and then the main service, which is very familiar, but uh, as well festive, starting at midnight. Afterwards, everybody will uh, throw Weihnachten uh, in front of the church, which is a very nice custom, especially when it's snowing, so it's like in a fairy tale. So after the Mass, everybody is uh, socializing in front of the church, wishing yes. each other Merry Christmas, Freie Weihnachten. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and then we go to the illuminated cemetery. What kind of lights and why? Oh, this is to give the wishes and the uh, merry, uh, frohe Weihnachten to the dead people as well. So there's candles in your graveyards? Candles, yes, a lot of candles. Huh. After the Christmas bell rang, you go to the uh, living room, then uh, you have some Christmas songs, then you have the Evangelium, this is the history of the birth of uh, Jesus. Mm -hmm. So you read the Gospel? You read the Evangelium. Afterwards, you have, uh, again, some uh, Christmas songs. Then you give the Christmas wishings. And then, the, a very exciting point, you can open the presents. Wow. And do you have, then, a big Christmas feast uh, on Christmas Day? On the 25th. Sometimes you start with a very long breakfast because you come back quite late from the church. Then you go to the sons and daughters, or they come to the house. And then, uh, probably have an early evening meal or a later evening meal. But the whole day will be uh, 
time to spend and to see the family and enjoy each other. Gabby, can you uh, share with us in the United States what your wishes are for the new year? I wish first peace for everybody. Frohe Weihnachten. And then, of course, everybody wants to be healthy, join family, and be happy, and, of course, have all the blessings of God. That's beautiful. And once again, in, uh, in your language, how do you say Merry Christmas? Frohe Weihnachten. Frohe Weihnachten. Thank you very much, Gabby, and Merry Thank Christmas. You. Frohe Weihnachten from Austria. Rick, to you and to everybody. Bye now. Bye-bye. One of our listeners from Florida wrote us a while back about the fun he enjoyed at one of the big Christmas markets in Germany. Chuck's on the line from Spring Hill, Florida. Hi, Chuck. Uh, Grüß Gott. Grüß, Grüß Gott. What a wonderful greeting. Sounds like you've been in Switzerland or Germany recently. Oh, the Deutschland is very beautiful there, especially in Christmas time. Oh, yes, indeed. And this brings me a story about Nuremberg. Tell me. That's the most well, famous place for Christmas market, isn't it? Oh, I think you've been there, uh, the, the Chris Kindle Mart, correct? <laughs> My feeling is if you're going to do one Christmas market, go to Nuremberg. Yes, I, I agree with you completely. What a beautiful, large, the sounds, the taste, the smells, it's just beautiful. Tell me about your experience there. Uh, one day in the morning, uh, I woke up early to watch uh, the people set up for the Chris Kindle Mart. They start bringing in the cookies and the, the glue vine, the sausages, and they start... Uh, frying the onions and the smells, it just cannot be duplicated on TV. You need to go there and smell them all. Yes. But I was walking around early in the morning, and I turned the corner, and here's a, a van with a lady starting to stumble out of the van with a with a tray of a Liebkuchen, uh, gingerbread cookies. And I catch the tray. I didn't catch the girl or the woman. <laughs> I catch the tray. I bet she's glad you caught the gingerbread cookies. That's great. <laughs> she she laughed and said something in her in her German, and uh, and my little German is so bad. But we saved the cookies basically, and we had a good laugh. And uh, she gave me one of the cookies. Well, that would be the least she could do if you saved her whole tray of cookies. Well, that's true too. Man, and, oh, man. Uh, the people around were laughing at her and saying things in German to her and. I guess the gist of it I was is that she's always like that. You know, so, uh, established and big time as the Christmas market is in Nuremberg, you feel that community, don't you, while you're there? Yes, you do. It seems like some of the little booths that they have there are the same booths, the same people, year after year, family, traditional booths. And they have a high standard of quality. I mean, there can be nothing mass-produced. There can be nothing imported from Asia or anything like that. It's good, local... I mean, they're knickknacks for Christmas ornaments and so on, but it's all quality, uh, locally made stuff. And you've got those wonderful Nuremberg sausages. Yes, you do. The, the, little, the little sausages. The little, like the size of your little finger. They come three laying there side by side on, a, on like a hamburger bun. And boy, what a wonderful treat that is. Anytime I see the word Nuremberger sausages, I'm there. <laughs> That's great. And the other story I have in, in Nuremberg is that my wife and I were walking around like you do in the city during the Christmas time, and I always keep my glass with me to get a, a refill called Nachshake and Glühwein. And I just happened to see another little, just a little booth, and, and there's some paintings on the wall that I really didn't recognize. And I walked up to ask for my refill, and the fella said something in German about dolphins and, a, and an extra uh, euro for the dolphins. And I'm thinking, we're in the middle of Germany. I was thinking Miami Dolphins. I was thinking <laughs> football or something, because being an American. And he laughed. He says, no, no, not Miami. We're trying to build a, uh aquarium. Right. And they're trying to get dolphins to come to the aquarium. And this booth was taking all the profits, and it's going to the aquarium. Wow. So after we both had red faces and his little American and my little German, I finally understood why he wanted an extra euro. So did you chip in a euro for the dolphins? Oh, yes, I did. Good for I, you. I sure did. And you of know, course. maybe even without knowing it, but you were playing right by the rules there. You kept your cup because I noticed at the Nuremberg Christmas Market, a vast festival, thousands of people, but there are 
by law, no disposables. They're all ceramic cups, and when you get that glue vine, you pay a deposit, and you have to bring back that cup, or I suppose you can bring your own, but there's no disposable cups. That's absolutely true. In fact, if you didn't have enough of the deposit, sometimes the people would let you just drink and trust you. But if you walked out of their sight, boy, they would be <laughs> hollering at you. I bet. Well, they're, they're experts at that. Hey, Chuck, thanks so much for sharing a little bit of uh, Nuremberg Christmas with us. Well, thank you for having me. Happy travels. Same to you. Just in time for the solstice, here are some winter season haiku sent to us by our listeners from the link in the radio section of ricksteves.com. Dana Ivey from New York City paints this landscape. Stark and white beauty, fairyland snow on bare trees, Central Park, New York. Rick Preston of Miramonte, California, describes this scene hiking in Utah's backcountry in this double haiku. Sun on cottonwood, reflections of leaf and sky, the smell of river, moving through canyon, winter light beckons me on, don't know when to stop. Gretchen Williams of Mercer Island, Washington, commemorates surviving her first winter in Europe with this poem. Moving to Munich, our coldest winter ever. Then, beautiful spring. While Lisa Trader of Edmonds, Washington, has a more practical concern. The sun is shining, but I still feel a bit chilled. I hate my jacket. Travel with Rick Steves is produced at Europe Through the Back Door in Edmonds, Washington by Tim Tatton and by Sarah McCormick. Thanks for technical help to Andrew Wakeling, Robin Cronin, and Jonathan Lee. And our theme music is by Jerry Frank. Join us again next week as our holiday celebrations continue on Travel with Rick Steves. Rick Steves teaches smart travel to Germany, Austria, Switzerland, the Low Countries, and beyond. At ricksteves.com, you'll find an archive of interviews from his radio show, free audio tours, a monthly travel newsletter, and a world of information to help you turn your travel dreams into smooth and affordable reality. To prepare for your next European adventure, begin your trip at ricksteves.com.